King's kids, do we have any left? Did we already shuttle them off? Oh, no. It's going to be rough. The good news is I've got Graydon and Molly to take care of you, okay? So if you're in, what? If you're nice, they might let you go outside. It's kind of decent out there now. So King's kids, if you're in second grade on down, you want to go to junior church, this is your moment to escape. <coughs> More than I thought. Or at least happier than I, they should be. <coughs> we'll be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Uh, before we jump right into the sermon, we're going to have a moment of prayer. Um, Roy Walgren is still at home, struggling to get enough strength to make it here yet. And the doctors haven't uh, hammered down any direct reasons for why he is... Um, exhausted right now and so we'll pray for Roy pray for Mark Wood he's got surgery coming up Thursday Thursday on his back so uh, that's been a long time coming so we pray that that surgery stabilizes um, what's broken and he can have some relief and get back to as much normal as possible and so Christy gets some relief uh, if he feels any better pray for Karen Pray for Karen. She's also not able to be here this morning, so we'll pray for Karen, for Roy, for Mark. Um, those are the big ones right now. Um, always praying for the Bells. Um, they always need it. Well, yeah, don't we all? Um, so join me. Let's pray for our, our friends. God, we lift up Roy and Mark and Karen to you right now and First and foremost, we pray that you would remind them that you are God, that you are in charge, and ultimately you are the one who is responsible for their suffering. You are allowing it for their good. Remind us of that, God. And everything we go through here is temporary, and it is a test of whether or not we will trust you. Trust you when the days are good and trust you when the days are dark. Help us learn to trust you. And if we need to trust you more, we welcome the test. Help us to not run away from everything that goes wrong. Help us to not revert to self-soothing or trusting in other people to bring us happiness and relief when we need to learn to turn all of our anxieties, all of our cares, and all of our sorrows back to you because you alone can handle it. Teach us, God, to trust you even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Help us to be a people who fear no evil, no pain, no loss because it is all short, a vapor, a breath, a wisp of smoke compared to the glory you have prepared for your sons and daughters in eternity. So help our friends who are down right now. Lift them up by the power of your spirit to remember that their soul is in Jesus' care and that makes all the difference. 
or at least it should make all the difference. By the grace of God, you and I are here today. And you may not be here tomorrow, and you may not be here next week. So you better pay attention. Listen carefully to what we have to say today. The title of this lesson is Already Perfect, Yes, But Not Yet Perfected. And don't I know it. (laughs) There is a deep spiritual truth here. According to God, you've been made right by faith. And He's given you that rightness. He's given you that righteousness. It is not of your own. You've not earned it. It is from God by faith in Christ and what He's done for you. He took your place. You're perfect. But not perfected. There's still more to come. Like, well, how can that be? You know how that can be. You have the perfect baby. Even if all of its health is perfect. Do you want to stay that way? Is that what perfection is? You stay the same forever? No. You want that baby to grow. What was born perfect can become better. So there is a sense in which even perfection can grow and become more perfect. That's what we're after today, because that's what God wants for you. Jesus does all the heavy lifting in your spiritual life. You're supposed to live by faith, but you still have a part to play. He does give you righteousness, but now you have to act right. He does give you spiritual life, but now you have to do right. You have a job to do. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul, this entire chapter, Paul is really, really practical And he's making it over and over again about Jesus. It's hard to keep track of how many times Paul refers to Jesus, either by name or by pronoun. Sometimes it's Jesus, sometimes it's Christ, sometimes it's him. Sometimes it's his power, sometimes it's his glory. But he can't stop referring to Jesus because the Christian life is about Jesus. He is our life. So read with me in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 15 through 21 again. Get them fresh on your mind. Then we'll, we'll take it verse by verse. Unpack this. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However... Let us keep living by that same standard to which we have already attained. Brothers and sisters, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. 
Amen. So in verse 15 today, Paul says, Let us therefore as many as are perfect. What? He just said he wasn't perfect. Did you see that in verse 12? That was last week. He says in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. In verse 12 he says, I've not become perfect. And now today in verse 15, As many of you who have been perfect, attained perfection like the bible is full of contradictions if you're shallow that's going to be your response but if you're tracking with what paul is saying there are two different nuances to this perfection so when he uses perfect this time and actually every time he uses the word perfect it's not necessarily a singular point of arrival it is referring to being mature write that down being mature being complete being right with god righteous and being holy and if you know anything about maturity you never arrive but you can get better even if you complete something it still needs to be clean maintained taken care of Even if you are right with God, you can grow in righteousness. And even if you are holy, remember, Jesus was holy and he became holier. Because every time you do the right thing from day to day, even if it's the same thing over and over again, you are growing in holiness because you're building and building and building a pattern of faithfulness. You could be perfectly right one day, and the next day be perfectly right again, and they're not the same. They're stacking. You're proving to be more and more holy. So there is an element to this of growth and attaining more perfection. I like that he includes all believers in verse 15. Let us. He's writing to a church. Let us. A church is a gathered group of people who have the same basic doctrine, the same basic understanding of Jesus, who've been baptized, who've professed allegiance to a group of people to pray for each other, forgive one another, support one another. Let us, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Now I want to back up in your notes and show you some context that help us understand what Paul is talking about even deeper in verse 15. In verse 9, he declared, righteousness is from God by faith. Remember that? That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. He's battling against legalism. He's battling against works-based righteousness. We are not right with God because of what we do. We are right with God because of He declares us right. How? Verse 9. From God on the basis of faith. In verse 11, he talks about the resurrection from the dead. He's looking forward to resurrection from the dead. That is a future event. We We call that glorification. The moment in the future when God makes us completely whole so we can stand in his presence. We need that. We can't get that on our own. Again, God has to make it happen. 
God gives us righteousness. Okay, that's the beginning of the Christian life. You're right. And then he talks about resurrection from the dead. That's glorification. That's the end of the Christian life and the beginning of eternity. And in verse 12, Paul says, I'm not there yet. I've not already become perfect. I'm not glorified yet. He's talked about being right. He's talked about being glorified. He's talked about justification at the beginning of faith. He's talked about glorification at the end of our faith. Well, what's in the middle? He's talked about how to be saved, born again, by grace, through faith. He talks a lot about Jesus being his goal and his prize, and he's leaning forward and he's pressing into that. But he's not there yet. So are you, I'm trying to help you see he's setting us up. Because we live in the in-between. We're already perfect. He declares the people who trust in Jesus, who believe Jesus is who the Bible says he is, he calls them, you're right. And he says there will be a day when I'm going to make everything right again, and we are stuck in between. Does anybody remember what this process of life is called that we are in right now? Starts with an S. Sanctification. The slow, tedious life of faith that trusts God every step until he says, game over. And he reboots us, and we start eternity with him. We're in the in-between. Paul's setting us up for that. In verse 14, I press on. And he said that twice last week. He said it in verse 12, I press on. He says it in verse 14, I press on. And remember, he's not pressing on towards heaven. He says the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is not looking to escape earth and go to heaven. Paul wants to be with God. Paul wants to be with Jesus. And that's a different shift from a lot of uh, Christian talk or spiritual talk. We're not looking to escape this earth. We want to be with God. What's the great commandment? Love God. So what's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you? Be with God, not just go to heaven. Heaven is meaningless if Jesus isn't there. And there are a lot of people that would be okay if Jesus wasn't in heaven. That's not a biblical view of heaven. Well, as long as my dog is there. Well, as long as my friends are there. Well, as long as, as long, that's not heaven. Heaven is the presence of God not you getting everything you want. And the shift is, when God is all you want, then heaven is wherever God is. He's going to get to that today. So verse 15, the big shift he is making is this phrase, have this attitude. Write that down. Paul's been talking about justification, sanctification, glorification, He says, I've not arrived yet. I've not been glorified yet. I've not been made perfect. But as many of you who are perfect have this attitude, he just shifted on us. And he made this about internal matters, heart matters, spiritual matters. When we talk about resurrection and glorification and the end of all things in heaven, resurrection, our final resurrection, the new body, is the 
primarily physical aspect of glorification. Write that down, because we make it about physical things. We, 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 Jesus was resurrected, so I'm going to be resurrected. Jesus overcame death, so I'm going to overcome death. Good. There's very much a physical aspect to that. But there's also an internal and spiritual aspect to that. Because Paul, next blank, he's calling us right now to have an attitude of future glorification right now. That life that we look forward to having forever, there are parts of that life you can tap into right now. The Christian life is not just sitting back waiting for God to finish everything. The reason you are alive on planet Earth is so you can get to know God right now, bit by bit, day by day, prayer by prayer, scripture by scripture, memory verse by memory verse, service by service. You can get to know that God right now, and it will change your attitude. God is not waiting. He doesn't want you to wait either for him to finish you off. In other words, you can't say you are a born-again Christian and then do whatever you want. That's going backwards. You're supposed to be a born-again Christian, and the Spirit of God guides you, teaches you, leads you to Jesus, and you begin to actually love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything within you. That's the process of sanctification. It's learning about God and learning to love God and looking forward to meeting God. There is very much a physical aspect to our glorification. We will be resurrected. But when Paul calls us to have this attitude now in verse 15, so you're perfect, you're right with God. Oh, that's a little loud for the PGA Championship. Maybe a golf clap. No, they're kind of rowdy in Tulsa. I've seen that crowd on TV. They're loud. Like, man, that's going to disrupt a few putts today. Um, God gives you the golf clap. Good job. Well, yeah, you believe the right thing. Good. That's good. But we're not done yet. Don't hoist the trophy. You haven't arrived. We need to change your attitude. Has anybody told you that lately? <laughs> Has anybody told you that lately? Boss, coworker, mom or dad, pastor. Because um, we all need it. And, and to be fair, that's what this entire Christian life is about. It's about getting the right attitude. The attitude not of, man, life is hard, life is a struggle, I'm... I'm down, I'm out, I need to know, I need to have all the answers, I need to have, I need to have, I need, no. The Christian life is realizing he's got everything I need. Trust him. I don't have all the answers. Trust him. I don't know why that happened. Trust him. This is the idea of Paul. I press on, leaning, straining. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to fellowship in his suffering. The Christian life is this, difficult, strenuous process. Christianity is easy. You trust Jesus to be who the Bible says he is. Yes, but at the same time, it is extremely difficult. Easy because it's just about Jesus, 
hard because the only thing between you and Jesus is yourself. The hardest part of Christianity is telling yourself to shut up. Stop chasing after everything you want and do what God wants. The hard part of Christianity is telling yourself no. Your biggest enemy is not the devil. It's not demons. It's not the world. You are led and tempted when you're led astray by the desires of your wicked heart. You are the problem. That's what sanctification is addressing. That's why God is not on a huge agenda to fix every little thing in the world. That's why Paul is not out. To, he's not promoting women's rights. He's not fighting against slavery. He's not, he's not even lambasting the Roman government, which is wicked, is homosexual. It is vile. But he doesn't go after them. He even says submit to them. Why? Because it doesn't matter. I can live in any government on planet Earth and serve God and draw closer to God. There is no law on planet Earth that can stop me from trusting Jesus. Anywhere, under any circumstances, let as many of us who have attained perfection have this attitude. And if you don't, I like that he throws that in there. And if anything, you have a different attitude, verse 15. Maybe you don't think that way yet. Maybe you're just at the beginning of your Christian life, or you've been stuck for a decade in your Christian life, or you ran the wrong way in your Christian life, and you're just now getting back. If you think differently and you don't have that attitude yet, look at, look at what he says at the end of verse 15. Let me paraphrase it for you. God's got your back. God will reveal the proper attitude to you. He says, God will reveal that also to you. So what do I do if I'm not where I need to be? The answer is be patient as you mature and learn. Be patient as you mature, as you learn, and as God grows you. He'll water you just right. He'll change you at the rate you need to be changed. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we have an example of what Paul's talking about today in Philippians. And Paul says in Romans 12, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Your bodies. Yeah, I'm tracking. Holy and acceptable to God. That's your spiritual service of worship. You can submit your, God to do, you can submit your body to serve God. That's a spiritual act of worship. And in verse 2, he says, And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's the inward part. You see that? He put both of them together. He talked about being transformed outwardly. Submit your bodies to God. Ultimately, that's going to be done. Glorification, final resurrection. But also, be transformed. Be renewed in your mind Romans 12 1 and 2 that's the same thing he's getting at in Ephesians chapter 3 right now that your Christian life there's a very physical side to that and God is going to finish that but there's also a spiritual internal transformational heart and mind thing going on in you right now and God wants you to work on that too right now be patient he's going to reveal spiritual truth to you Spiritual truth is revealed and given. We don't earn it. Eric, 
You've learned the Bible for a very long time, and you've said it multiple times in the last week. I'm going to paraphrase Eric for just a second. Man, I've, dang it, I've learned these things since I was a kid, and they're only just now making sense. Is that a fair paraphrase? Why does it take so long? Because we're thick. We, we. Because God reveals things to us at different seasons of life. And we're not ready for it. We can't, we can't handle all the truth right up front. It's a slow process of God revealing things to us. And we mature and we learn. And, and our heart and our attitude matters way more. Way more than our knowledge way more than our zeal and our excitement to follow Jesus. What matters is not just, man, I want to do this, but man, I really care about him. That, that, that's the shift that Paul is taking here with these Philippians. He's taught them a lot. They've experienced a lot. Now he's pouring his heart out to them like, guys, be patient as you grow. Have this attitude. What attitude? Can you give us an example of this attitude? Yes. Verse 16. Let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained or already obtained. What is he saying here? Whatever standard you're living by in your Christian life, press on with whatever you already have and don't retreat. That's kind of a summary of verses 12 and 14 where he says, I press on, I lean forward, I count everything I've done in the past as done and over. I'm not going to revisit the past over and over again. I'm not going backwards. Don't go backwards. To live by faith is to lean forward. We don't live by works. We don't live by legalism. It's not about trying to attain some kind of perfection in this life. If God declares you righteous, that's all the perfection you need. Now, do all the little things he said to do. Learn to love one another. Learn to forgive one another. Let's just go with those two. Let's not make it too complicated. Love one another, forgive one another. Love one another, forgive one another. Love one another, forgive one another. That's going to keep you busy for the rest of your life. It is. Some days you're harder to live with than others. Some days you're harder to love than others. And other days, other people are harder to forgive. So, there's your, there are your marching orders. What do I do? How can I serve God? What's God's will for my life? Love Him. Love other people. Jesus doesn't simplify it any more than that. That's, that's, a, that's hard. What if I don't feel good? Love God. Love other people. Even when, even, what if they're my enemies? Love God. Love other people. He talks about forgiving your enemies. Well, what if, <sighs> love God, trust Him in the middle of whatever you're going through, love other people. Well, they didn't want to receive my love. I'm forgiving them and they're spewing out. Love God, trust Him. Anybody who's in your life is there by God's command. Because he could command them out of your life. I'm not saying you should pray for that. <laughs> but it would be a little biblical. 
David goes that way sometimes. David expresses his heart to God in ways that sometimes seem harsh. Yeah, but he didn't live a life that was harsh with his enemies. He only went out and battled against the people God said to, to battle. But he took, some, he took some knocks on the chin. And God didn't tell him to curse somebody. And he, he took some cursings himself. Patience. Don't retreat. Move forward. Move forward. But Paul, you don't exactly know what I'm going through. Verse 17. Brothers, sisters, join in following my example. I like that. He said, just do what I'm doing. They know what he's doing. He's written them letters. He's visited them. He spent months teaching them. They have sent people to him with money. He sent back reports to them. They know what's going on in his life. And he says, join my example. Where is he right now? In jail. Oh, no, please don't go there again, Paul. Don't bring up. Yeah, here I am. He says, follow me. And then he says, follow us, our example. He makes it plural because who's with him? Timothy's with him. Write that name down. Timothy's with him. Epaphroditus is with him. These guys are not apostles. He says, follow me. Follow us. Timothy's a guy who's only been a Christian for maybe a year at this point. Epaphroditus, he's only been a Christian for a couple months at this point, and he's on a missions trip. He's out delivering money to Paul. Epaphroditus is from Philippi, the city this letter is written to. In fact, he's carrying this letter back to Philippi. He's the messenger boy. He got sick, almost died along the way, almost laid his life down for the cause of the gospel. Like, nice, way to go. Doesn't have all knowledge, doesn't, hasn't had visions, hasn't cast out demons, hasn't performed miracles. This is a dude I can follow. He's faithful. You can be faithful. Christians, we need to be careful to follow people who are growing in their faith. We need to spend time with people who are not growing in their faith and with people who don't know Jesus. Yes, but if you are also not growing in your faith, you need to remove yourself from bad influences and put yourself around good influences. That's the purpose. That's what he's saying. Don't, if you feel bogged down, you feel like you're retreating, you feel like you're living in the past, surround yourself with people who are living the right way. That, that's a good example. Just follow me. Here I am in jail, and I'm praising the Lord for it. Jesus' name is being known in Caesar's household. That wouldn't happen unless I were under arrest in Rome, being guarded by Caesar's guards who are rotating between me and the palace. Me and the palace. Oh, that's a good opportunity. Hey, do you, let me tell you about this Jewish Messiah. Paul is sharing the gospel with these people. He sees it as an opportunity, not a pity party. He doesn't pout or moan and groan. He's not asking the Philippians, hey, get together an army. And come save me. I'm really struggling, guys. What are, you, are you talk, what are you talking about? That's totally contrary to the gospel. He has Jesus. He's winning. No matter what they do to Paul, he's winning. The gospel is spreading. He's winning because it's not about Paul. He wants us to follow that example. Your life shouldn't be about, say it with me, you. My life should not be about me. That's the opposite of Christianity. It's not, here's my life, I'm adding Jesus. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is, he must increase, I must decrease. That's true humility. That's true humbleness. It's just it's stating the facts. 
here's who I am, and here's how God is. And in your life, you don't need to beat yourself down and keep bringing yourself lower. No, all you really need to do is just keep lifting Jesus up higher. Make much of him. Stop making much of you. You don't know all things. You can't understand all things. Make much of him. Make much of him. That's what Paul's doing. Follow my example. Follow Timothy. Follow Epaphroditus. Pump the brakes and watch out. He said this a couple times already in this epistle. Watch out. Beware of something. Beware of what, Paul? Verse 18. With tears in his eyes. Many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So Paul gives us a contrast to the Christian life. He's talked about righteousness. He's talked about being perfected. He's talked about pressing on. He's talked about having the right attitude. He's talked about his example, living by a higher standard, leaning into Jesus, trusting in Jesus, being like Paul, being like Timothy, being like Epaphroditus. And then he has a warning here that there are some people who don't live this way. And he, he shows us the flip side. This is the, the opposite of Christianity. The opposite of Christianity. He says destruction instead of glorification. Whose end is destruction. Instead of being glorified at the end, they're going to be destroyed. Whose God is their appetite. Instead of worshiping God, they worship their senses, their sensuality. They pursue pleasure. Whose glory is in their shame instead of glorying in Christ. Let me remind you what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 3. I've got a slide for you. You don't need to write this down. But I want you to see the way this guy's brain works. Hit it. Next slide. These three things he's mentioning in verse 19 are a direct contrast to these things he's already talked about. This is the Christian life. We worship in spirit. We glory in Jesus. No confidence in the flesh. Because we have no confidence in this flesh, God is going to glorify our flesh because we're trusting in him. We worship in spirit. We glory in Jesus. And here's the opposite of Christianity. People who glory in themselves are going to be destroyed. He's flipping this on its head. Warning us, don't be this way. Their end is destruction, not glorification. Whose God is their appetite. They're not, they don't have a heart for worship in the spirit. They glory in their shame. The things they do wrong, they promote and make much of those things. They don't glory in Jesus. He, he, this guy's a steel trap for a mind. He's carrying these thoughts forward. He's re-expressing them. It's very memorable. People don't have copies of these letters. They're memorizing them. They're learning them. They're listening to them. They're having to hear these things spoken. And it's making sense in their minds. He's reinforcing things through repetition and, and similar phrase, phrases like glory and spirit and resurrection. And I press on. So beware the opposite of Christianity, but he doesn't stop there. He has a wonderful sentence in verse 20. In contrast to those who are going to be destroyed, our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, we are not of this world in attitude or in action. Our citizenship, our real identity, that's a hot word nowadays. 
our identity is in heaven. And it's not heaven the place, because immediately after he mentions heaven, which, by the way, he never says go to heaven, immediately after mentioning heaven, he talks about what makes heaven special. That's where Jesus is, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. He's looking forward to Jesus coming and saving and being with him. He's not looking forward to dying and going to heaven. That's the contrast there. That's, that's the break from American Christianity. It, we're not an escapist cult. We are a people looking forward to a person named Jesus. So we're not of this world, not in our attitudes, not in our actions. And Paul's example is being continued here. We, this is us. He's including himself in this discussion. And this, this, this word citizenship would have a lot of meaning to these people in Philippi. Let me remind you, the city of Philippi is in northern Greece, and it is a Roman colony. Just wrap your head around that for a second. It's a Greek city with Roman citizens because there was a point in time when a lot of military officials retired out of Rome, and they settled in northern Greece, and they started a city and named it after one of their famous leaders, Philippi. They make much of the fact that they are Roman citizens. In fact, that is their primary identity on planet Earth. If you march into Philippi and start spouting that you're from anywhere else, they're going to buck up. We're Romans. That is their chief identity. It exempts them from a lot of taxes. It gives them the right to call in the military for aid, which is the world power of the time. It gives them the right uh, to a judicial system, though it is unjust and it's kind of rudimentary. It's still the best on the planet at that moment in time. They have access to trade and money and borrowing and lending. Being a Roman citizen comes with a lot perks because they are basically ruling the world so when paul says to them our citizenship church is in heaven i think they had some questions wait a minute the same way that it would have rubbed them just a little sideways is the same way it needs to rub us Americans a little sideways. You have a higher allegiance than this country. You have a higher calling than your patriotism. You have a better king, a better family. This is a letter for us in our day and our age. This is important. This idea of our citizenship is in heaven is revolutionary. Because what is he doing? He's not dragging them down. You notice that? He doesn't say, oh, Rome is pooey. Oh, Philippi, what a dump. I've been to Rome. I've been to Corinth. Man, those are some real big cities. I've been. He doesn't bring them down. He doesn't have to. This is one of the most irritating things about Christianity to the world. We're not out to bring everybody down, and we shouldn't even try. All we have to do to really upset people 
is just talk about Jesus. Oh, you want to talk about a perfect ruler, perfect king, perfect system, high, mor- high morality, taking care of orphans, meeting the needs of widows. You want to talk about community. You want, and we're straining, we're reaching, we're pressing on. When we make much of Jesus, sidebar, this world is not going to like us. They're not. We are not of this world. One ironic thing I had come across my mind was the fact that possibly the most virtuous Roman citizen was Paul. Paul is preaching this stuff, and he's willing to take care of anybody. Paul is willing to meet the needs of anybody who walks into any church on any day of the week. Paul has got these Christians organized into little groups that are like to rescue society. When culture and society is dismissing people, dismissing groups of people, dismissing slaves, uh, looking down on women, abusing children, there are no child labor laws, there are no minimum wages, The society is abusing people, and the church is the very group that is welcoming these people. The most virtuous Roman citizen was probably Paul. What did that get him? Jail and a death sentence. Jesus, let's kick it up a notch. The most virtuous Israelite to ever live. Forget about human. And what did they do to the most moral, the most gracious, the most forgiving? The guy who healed more people than they've ever seen. The guy who had fed miraculously more people than anybody's ever fed. What did they do to the most moral son of God they've ever seen? They killed him. When this world realizes we live for a king and this world can't control us, they hate us. And if the government loves you, check yourself. If the government panders to you, maybe you haven't lifted Jesus up high enough. There's going to be some people that flock to the message of the cross for the right reasons, but, but let's, and this is not a political message, this is a Jesus message. Jesus first, Jesus always. Verse 21 Before we get the big head, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. There He is looking forward again to ultimate glorification. When our body, there's the physical, humble state, the body of our humble state. Uh, Have you stopped and considered how naturally humbled you should be? Are you growing older? Have you stubbed your toe in the last week? Maybe an ingrown toenail. Have you hurt your back in the last week? Have you needed to sleep? Have you needed to eat? That's humbling. You need a lot of things to survive. That should naturally humble you. This is a humble state. Being a human is a humble state. God is going to take this humble state and transform it, not just outwardly, but also our mind inwardly, How is he going to do it? By the exertion of his power. He does it. I don't have to do it. I don't have to get everything right. So the humble state is live like you are actually humble (laughs) and be transformed from the inside out. Our mortality should humble us very naturally. Going to a funeral should wake you up. That's our mortal state. 
that's our humble state. So in this passage today, Paul is intermixing a lot of physical and spiritual terms. He's talking about ultimate glorification as future. He's talking about how God treats us spiritually, our attitude, our body. Like, it's, it's, it's everything, and it's complicated. And it's going to take a while for all of us to acknowledge that and grow in that. But, but be comforted by this thought. God's not done with us yet. And really take it to heart. That wherever you are in your life and wherever your body is today, Paul really believed that God can work on your attitude and your mind and your heart. That's the thing about the Christian life. As long as you are conscious, you can grow closer to God. Even if you can't physically do anything for God, you may even be paralyzed, unable to move, unable to speak. But if there are brain cells firing here and you're able to think, just thinking, think of the dignity of human life. That even if you can only think, you can pray and you can talk to God. That's why we are valuable. We have a distinct ability to connect with God regardless of what is going on in life. And we need to learn to do that while we can do other things. That's the trick. We get so busy, so busy fixing ourselves, going to doctor's appointments, working on the house, clocking in, clocking out, training, memorizing, learning, going to an eye appointment, going to a doctor's appointment, taking care of my pets, taking care of my kids, checking in on homework assignments, filling out registration forms for camp that are due soon. You can do them online at therefugestudent.com. <laughs> we can get so busy doing things, right? Planning things, prepping things that we forget the wisdom, the ancient wisdom are you with me be still and just know that he is god be still be still there are a lot of unfortunate things about this style of communication one person preaching at a crowd obsolete old outdated but there is one good thing about it you're being still right now you can do this. You're being quiet right now. You can do this. This is a spiritual discipline. Showing up, a scheduled time, sitting still, paying attention. Because you are in church today, I know you can draw closer to God when you're not in church. You just need to go find a place to do it. Schedule it. Your next lunch break, pack a lunch, go sit outside by yourself. Or leave the car running because it's probably not going to be this nice the rest of the summer. Leave the air on. Have lunch alone. You don't need to be busy. Quiet. When you get home from work, leave the car running. Read a couple of psalms before you walk in the house. Recalibrate your mind. Get right with God. Don't unleash <laughs> all the, the, the stress and the strain of your day on the very people you say you love the most when you walk in that door. <sighs> Decompress. Roll it over onto God. Learn to connect with Him. That's the transformation. That's the attitude that Paul is looking for in us, church people. We say we have Jesus, great. Now live like it. Don't just look forward to he's going to fix everything. You start working on you now. And if you gain anything, it's him giving it to you. Just sit still. Just ask him. Just talk to him. You're his child. He's your father. If your Bible is like mine, it made a mistake. 
Remember, the, these numbers, these chapters and these verses were not inspired. They were added later. Because Paul's thought doesn't end in verse 21. <laughs> He's got one more, one more verse. It's chapter 4, verse 1. Here's his real ending. Therefore, see there's the connector, the summary. My beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Please notice, he calls them my beloved. Paul cares and treasures these people. But right between it, this is a strong command. Have you ever buttered somebody up? Oh, honey. Oh, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? And then they look at you, flared hips, hands out. What do you want? Why did you bake cookies? Why? What do you want? Your kids, they did their chores. You walk in and, what are you jockeying for? Why are you being so good? Here's Paul. Why are you telling them they're your beloved? Why are you telling them, you care about them, their joy and crown. Because this is, this is the strongest form of a command in the Greek language, stand firm. This is dad talking. He loves them. He loves them. Do what I say. Don't go backwards in your faith. Go forward. Stand firm. If you do move any direction, it's in growth, not backwards. Don't live in the past. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Forgive, forget, move on. Forgive. Stand firm in Jesus. Ah, the affection there. Show me the last slide, my friend. Here's my summary statement for this whole passage. Sanctification, which is God transforming us right now, the life we live in. Sanctification, it frees us from the past. Justification starts that freedom. Sanctification lives it out and encourages us towards holy living. Ultimately, God will finish us off with glorification. It's not all about you. He's the one who sanctifies. He's the one who sets apart. He's the one who waters and fertilizes and grows us. We need to make sure we're in the right garden and not living like a weed. And not letting the cares and the concerns of this world choke us out. Not letting persecution, pain, and suffering wither us, but strengthen us. The same sun that kills grows. Does the same thing. Depends on who you are, whether or not life beats you down. Stand with me. Let's pray to this end together. That God would... Help us live lives of sanctification. Close your eyes, bow your heads for just a minute before we sing a song. Are you standing firm in Jesus today? Are you backtracking? Are you neglecting some responsibilities? Do you have a bad attitude? Are you bitter? Are you angry? Are you jealous? Do you covet what other people have instead of accepting what God has brought into your life? Are you anxious about many things that are out of your control? How is your attitude today in relation to Jesus Christ? Is he not the king?
Has he not proven enough that he can overcome everything? Can't he calm the chaotic waters with his voice? Can't he rise above the waters with his feet? Doesn't Jesus have all spiritual authority and dominion? Isn't Jesus strong enough? Is it not enough that he took the sins of the world on his back? Is it not enough that he was stripped naked and humiliated in public? Was that not enough to help you? Is that not enough to encourage you? Our attitude. Have this attitude among yourselves which is the attitude of Christ Jesus, who though being born in the humble state of humanity took upon himself the form of a servant and humbled himself and serves and served us even to the point of death on the cross. Christians, humble yourself. Lay your life down for others so that Jesus can be made much of. Don't go backwards. Release and forgive the past. Look forward. Press on. We have a higher calling. Love the people right in front of you. Lord God, we bring you our hearts this morning and we say your will be done. Your kingdom come in us on earth as it is in heaven. Lead us not into temptation, please, but deliver us. It's your kingdom. It's your power. It's your glory forever.